0: 2 Timothy chapter 4 If you have plain bible it's on page 843 or the decorative bible is page 1197 chapter 4 In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearance and his kingdom I give you this charge preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with their sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to see what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearance. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in the ministry. I sent Titicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus with Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the, house of, the household of Oniferus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and left Trophimus sick with my, in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Ebulus greets you and so does Pudence, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you.
1: Well, it's a beautiful day. There has been so much rain this year. I'm sure you share with me that uh, joy that happened this morning when the fog lifted and the blue skies came out. But can you remember even 12 months ago when Port Macquarie was on its most severe water restrictions in memory? Can you remember what they were? No garden watering at all except for handheld watering cans. So precious, that water, that we had to allocate what little we had on what really counted. We just couldn't bear to see any of it going to waste, right? <laughs> it's so different now, but as we think back to water we and the water restrictions, we realise just how much water is a precious gift and a limited resource. You might have a similar story of something precious. How do you garden when you're down to your last few litres of water? But if you're not a gardener, maybe it's something different. How do you drive your car when you're down to the last few litres of petrol? How do you spend when your bank account is down to its last few dollars? And you think about that caviar or the Magi two-minute noodles. (laughs) You and I have another precious gift and a limited resource. It's our life. That's why we always have to strive to spend it, to make use of it as wisely as possible. We just can't afford to see any of it go to waste. It'd be such a shame to see any of it going down the drain just like that water during the water restrictions. Paul's picking up on this theme in today's passage. When we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see Paul handing out a whole heap of instructions. I'm going to be jumping around the passage today, so if you've got your Bible, I would suggest you open it to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's handing out a whole heap of instructions, but when we look at verse 6, we can find out why... He's thinking the way he is. In verse 6, Paul says this: For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. Paul considers his life to be a precious gift, a limited resource. Knowing how Paul invests his limited resource is going to help us as we work out how to invest our limited resource, our life, without seeing it go down the drain and go to waste. So, in verse 6, Paul says he's being poured out like a drink offering. What does that even mean? Well, a drink offering was part of the Jewish worship service to God. When the Jews had their system of sacrifice in the Old Testament, they'd take birds or sheep or cattle and sacrifice them on the altar and with it would pour out a drink offering of wine around the sacrifice. It depended on whether they were giving a small amount of animal or a large amount as to how much of the drink offering would also be required to be poured out. So they're just pouring it out, right, onto the altar. Is it going to waste? Well, they can't drink it. But it's not going to waste because it's being poured out the way God wants it to be in service of him. It's being poured out in recognition of the God who is their king and who provided them with everything they have in the first place. You see, for a while I had it in my head that this verse had Paul saying, I'm being poured out and he was just meant I'm on my way to death. I'm going to waste, it's all draining away. But there's more to it than that. Paul is being poured out, yes, but he's not being poured out to waste. He's not going down the drain. Paul is being poured out exactly where he should be in service of God, in recognition of God as the king who grants him his whole life. Obviously, there's much more to this chapter, but I think this verse is key to unlocking why Paul gives the advice that he gives through this chapter. He has a precious resource, but a limited supply, and he wants to make sure he is investing in the right place. The rest of the chapter shows us what Paul considers important investments, and you'll find that because of his Christian faith, Paul's life is is spent investing in three things. It's there in your outline if you want to have a look at it. First, he invests in the gospel. Throughout his letter to Timothy, Paul's investment in the gospel is pretty clear. It's the main point of the opening verse of this passage, verse 1, chapter 4, which has all the seriousness of a courtroom address. Paul is serious about what he's saying. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Well, There's a summary of the gospel right there in one verse. It has the key pillars of the gospel. Let's break it down. Starting with in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. When Paul was writing this, Jesus would have died on the cross maybe a few decades earlier. But Paul doesn't write, in the memory of Christ Jesus, I give you this charge. No, it's not just the memory. He writes, in the presence of Christ Jesus. Paul is convinced that Jesus is alive even as he writes. We see that in the gospel account of Jesus rising from the dead and then rising into heaven. He's alive, he's alive now. Paul was convinced. Paul goes on to refer to Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. There is a judgment coming for Paul, for the people of his time, for the people of our time. There is a judgment coming And everyone stands to be accused. But something else is coming. Paul, still in verse 1, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Do you see how Paul turns the focus away from the judgment and on to the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ as King? You see, when the judgment comes, Paul is confident that he will not stand condemned. Paul and I and you, if you accept Jesus as your saviour and king, will not be condemned when the judgment comes. You will stand with him in his glorious appearing and his kingdom. That is the Christian hope. That's why we put our hope in Christ as our saviour, saving us from the judgment. We look forward to the return of the king. How's that for a gospel presentation in just one verse? 20 to go. (laughs) The first verse makes it clear that the gospel is the most valuable thing there is for Paul and the rest of his message is based on this. The gospel shapes all of Paul's instructions, his investment advice which follows. The gospel is the focus of Paul's investment in his own life. Paul doesn't want his life to go down the drain and nor do we, right? So Paul invests on what is most important... His life won't go to waste if he is being poured out for the gospel. So Paul is investing in the gospel and that's why he continues in this way. In verse 2, look at what he says to Timothy. I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and endurance. The gospel is the most important message that Paul can tell. It's the most important message that can ever be told. And that's why Paul is investing in it and why he's urging Timothy to make use of it and why he urges Timothy and us to make use of it by passing it on. You see, Paul knows what it means to be prepared in and out of season to correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience. He's been living that himself Paul is passing on his life lessons to Timothy, urging him to invest in what's important, and he puts the gospel right up front. But to whom should Timothy be preaching and why? It turns out that Paul's second investment is non-Christians. Let's have a look at verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine... Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, that sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it, as we look around our society? Paul says the time will come when that happens, but you and I see that happening right now. People moving away from sound doctrine to follow what their itching ears want to hear. They chase after something that makes them feel good. Instead, they won't... Instead of putting up with sound doctrine, they won't put up with it and they will follow what their itching ears want to hear. It's clear that Paul is directing Timothy to preach to them, to correct them, to rebuke and encourage people who would reject his message... Paul is urging Timothy to preach to, Christian, to non-Christians and to people who have had nothing to do with Christianity. And that's not going to make for an easy life. Paul knows what it feels like to be rejected. And if you think he's talking to Timothy here, yes, but maybe he's also speaking to you because this advice is important to all of us. Have a look at verse 16 and 17. Paul says... At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Now based on that, Paul clearly had to cope with loneliness and rejection. The loneliness and rejection that we often feel when we talk about the gospel to non-Christians. In fact, even more, he was in court, he was in jail, he was in chains. But in verse 17, he shows that his purpose in submitting to that rejection was so that the Gentiles might hear his message. The Gentiles in those days, people who had not heard the gospel, more than likely, and we can look at it today as our preaching to non-Christians. Paul invests in the gospel, but his second investment, non-Christians. There's plenty of evidence of Paul's investment in non-Christians throughout the New Testament. The most significant, Acts 21, when a prophet foretells that Paul is going to be bound up and handed over to the Gentiles, where he'll be punished. And Paul replies, I'm ready. I'm ready not only to be bound but also to die for the sake of getting the message out. He's ready for difficulty. Can you imagine that? If someone came up to you and said, if you tell the gospel to that guy, he's going to bash you up. If you go over to that group, they are going to laugh at you. If you tell the gospel to your neighbor tomorrow, he'll throw eggs at your house. Uh, You probably think twice, right? You think, "Mm, maybe I'll put it off until he's in a better mood. But to say, no, for the gospel I'm prepared to go there and if something worse happens to me, I'm still ready for it. That's the sort of passion that Paul had for telling non-Christians the gospel. There's a dozen other occasions where Paul preached to non-Christians, whether they're counted as Jews or as Gentiles at that time, and as a result, Paul had a pretty rough life. But to his aim, his aim to have this struggle is quite clear, so that through me, he says in verse 17, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Not just one, all the Gentiles, that's his aim. Perhaps that's why Paul can direct Timothy back in verse 2, which we saw to preach the word in and out of season. He's reminding Timothy that the gospel God's word is so important that it needs to be declared whether it's in season, out of season, in fashion, out of fashion, the right time, the wrong time, it needs to be declared. Preaching is when it's easy and when it's not. And I don't think he's talking about preaching in front of a church. In fact, that's probably the easiest time, I I must say. You're all nodding. That's great. There's no eggs. That's great. Well, not yet. But preaching the gospel is a job for all of us, and it gets pretty uncomfortable. Look to Paul's example as to why he preaches the gospel, why he goes to non-Christians even though there is rejection and loneliness. Because it's his na- aim, his aim that all will know the gospel. We all should invest in bringing the gospel to non-Christians. We should invest our lives, limited as they are, in in preaching the gospel, sharing God's word, even when it feels like the wrong time, even when we're exhausted, even when we know we'll be rejected. So, Paul is keen to invest his precious gift in non-Christians but he's not just seeking followers, right? It's pretty clear. Remember, he's going to die shortly, so what good would having more followers be? No, Paul refuses to waste his resources just seeking popularity. He's not chasing followers just to build up his church. He's investing in non-Christians for the sake of the gospel, regardless of what happens to him. You can tell that it was difficult by the way Paul describes it in verse 6. He is being poured out. His life is running out. And in verse 7 and 8, themes he's touched on earlier that Pete and Scott have already brought out in previous previous sermons. Verse 7, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Paul compares his life to the life of a soldier or an athlete These are pretty uncomfortable lives. You know, they're not the most comfortable of ways to live. Constant physical training and even torment. Daily preparing for battle, knowing that tomorrow could be your last day. This is the sort of investment that Paul makes knowing the consequence. So I guess it leads us to ask, could Paul have just had an easier life? Could there have been an easier life for Paul, just building up some followers, raising some more money, getting a stable job, having a nine-to-five? It's easier to get people to join you when you give them a pretty easy message. Maybe if Paul had been preaching something like, be happy, rather than, the judgment is coming. Maybe if Paul had preached something like, you are the most important person in the world, rather than... You're on your way to death and you've got to do what God wants. Or your best life now, maybe he could have preached that sort of message, got more followers, more money in the church plate, a bigger building and more followers and more money and a bigger building and more followers and more money. But these messages are not the gospel. Be happy. You are the most important person in the world. No, Paul urges Timothy to correct and rebuke anyone who has the wrong message, even when the message they have would be more popular and comfortable. Unfortunately, as Paul puts it, it's just people heading off to find whatever their itching ears want to hear. Find a message that soothes their ears while their souls go hungry. No, Paul is convinced that non-Christians should share the real gospel, not some cheap imitation. Now, that's important. That's why he can say confidently in verses 7 and 8, I have kept the faith and there is more now in store for me, a crown of righteousness which the Lord will award to me on that day. Paul is assured that Christ will return as king. And so he knows his life won't be put to waste if he invests in the gospel and invests in non-Christians. And third investment, Paul's third investment, is in his followers. It's clear throughout this passage that Paul is choosing to invest in his followers. The, the, The obvious one that he's investing in is Timothy, right? He's written two letters and spent a lot of time with Timothy, He's pastoring him, guiding him, directing him in what to do. The opening passages of chapter 4 mark that out. Let's look again, verses 2 through 4. We've already seen that Paul encourages Timothy to preach the word, be prepared, correct, rebuke, encourage, have great patience and careful instruction. In in verse 5, Paul's commands continue... Let's look. Verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Well, keep your head. Uh, Some of your translations may say be sober, be sober minded. That's probably a good uh, analogy, good comparison, good illustration. Uh, We know that investment advice is not best done by a guy who's drunk. If you want to know what to invest in, go to the guy who's sober. If you want to make investment decisions, be sober. Don't be drunk. And so too, there's more to that word sober-minded than just alcohol. Take the time to do the job properly. Avoid wild living. Do it right. Have seriousness in your investment decisions. That's why Paul is telling Timothy, endure that hardship. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. Don't just go off and do what's easy. Paul's encouraging his protege to be an example of good living for his followers. And so Paul makes mention of plenty of other people that he's spent time on, invested in and we'll go through the rest of the chapter quickly through verses 9 to 21 having a scan of it and seeing if we can identify some of the guidance that he gives. Verse 10 there's Demas that investment doesn't appear to have borne much fruit because Demas has deserted Paul because he what he loved the world. On one hand it'd feel feel pretty frustrating to spend a lot of time investing and then the bloke deserts you. But Paul didn't hold back. Some of his investment paid off, some of it didn't. It's the same with us. Some of our investment will pay off, some of it won't. But based on what he told Timothy earlier, Paul feels it's important to invest in people, even when it's uncomfortable, and give them the information they need to make decisions which will change their life. Further on in verse 10, Crescens and Titus, although they aren't with him now, it seems that Paul had a time of investing in them and now they've gone off to bear fruit somewhere else. How joyful must that be when you spend some time giving advice to someone who's just behind you in the Christian life and then you see them going out and bearing fruit. It's a great feeling. Verse 11, Luke and Mark... Luke was with him at the time of writing. He was a doctor and also a writer, so he could be helping Paul with his health or with putting this letter together, not sure. But for Mark, Paul and Mark had parted ways on an earlier missionary journey and now Paul wants Timothy to collect Mark so that Mark can be reunited. Paul is investing in other Christians. He's also moving Christians around the map trying to make sure that they bear the most fruit for the gospel. Tychicus in verse 12, similar to Crescens and Titus, Paul had a time of investing and now Tychicus is bearing fruit in another town. On the other hand, verse 14, Alexander. An interesting choice of words here. Paul says, Alexander did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too, Timothy, should be on your guard against him. What's important here is not what Alexander has done, but that even though he hurts Paul, Paul leaves the judgment up to God. Although Paul does warn people about the risks that Alexander poses, Paul is trying to protect his investment in his followers to make sure they continue to bear fruit. In verse 19, Priscilla and Aquila, whom Paul spent a year and a half with, they also moved with him from Corinth to Ephesus. So he spent a lot of time investing in them. Also, Onesiphorus, who he's mentioned a few times now, and in verse 20, Erastus and Trophimus, whom Timothy might have been wondering about because Timothy probably worked with them at some time, and they're contemporaries, they're bearing fruit. Just like Timothy should be. And then there's the church he's currently involved with, verse 21, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, among others. Paul has no doubt invested in them by telling them about Timothy, uh, encouraging them to pray for Timothy, and, and vice versa. It's clear that Paul is an amazing investor, but you know what he hasn't mentioned? Real estate. It's clear that Paul is an amazing investor, but you know what he hasn't mentioned? The stock market. It's clear that Paul is an amazing investor, but you know what? He is investing in people, not property. Paul invests in people because of his understanding that the gospel is about Christ returning to gather his kingdom of people together. He's inspired by his hope that when Christ returns at his glorious appearing, he won't be returning for property or goods or shares. He'll be returning for us. That's why we are the investment. That's why your followers are the investment. Not for getting more followers, but for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of Christ's return. And so this drink offering, Paul's life, is a limited resource and a precious gift which is being poured out but it's not being poured down the drain. And to continue the metaphor, a time is coming where that last drop will leave the bottle and Paul will die. But Paul is not ready to put the cork back in. Paul is not saving the last drops for himself. As he says in verse 6, I continue to be poured out, continue to be poured out like a drink offering. He is investing his last drops for the sake of the gospel. So that prompts the question, what about you? Are you holding back your resources as time runs out? Or are you investing in God's kingdom? Are you investing in the gospel? Investing in non-Christians? Investing in those Christians who come after you, who will follow you? Investing in the next generation and the generation after that? See, your life is a limited resource and a precious gift. It's being poured out now. Where is it being poured out? Is it being poured out down the drain or is it being poured out in service to God? If we as Christians are serious about these things, then let us invest in these things. And if we do, none of our investment will go down the drain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to follow Paul's investment advice, to invest in the gospel, to invest in non-Christians to invest in our followers, not just for the sake of making ours and their life comfortable, but for the sake of the gospel and in view of your glorious appearing and return as king. And in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.